So friends, as you uh, probably know, are aware of, we have in Toledo uh, a great uh, art museum. Uh, it's uh, nationally recognized. Uh, how many have been to the art museum? Good, most of you. Um, we have a couple docents with us as I look around here um, that, that help there. And I, so I want to preach on a piece from uh, the art museum, which is one of my favorite pieces there in, at the Toledo Art Museum, which is uh, the Adoration of the Magi. It's uh, by a uh, Spanish uh, Baroque 17th century painter. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Susan and Kateri and others could help me. Uh, Bartolome Morillo, something like that. All right, thank you very much. I won't say his name again, but. Um, and uh, if I was organized in life uh, and thought about my homilies more than about a day in advance, I would have put uh, that painting on the bulletin. Uh, but it's not on the bulletin. So this is the only time you'll ever hear me say this, but if you want to pull this up on your phone uh, during this homily, I give you full permission. <laughs> if you just search uh, uh, Adoration of Magi Toledo Museum of Art, because my whole homily's on it, so if you want to look at it as you're doing it. I also kind of want to test how the Wi-Fi is in here with a bunch of people. So feel free to pull it up. If not, no problem. Um, one of the things I love about this painting is for me it captures both kind of the warmth and sentimentality of this scene that has captured the imagination of Christians and artists for 2,000 years, right? But also, it suggests some really interesting uh, things for our theological and spiritual consideration. So I just want to talk about a couple of those. The first is, um, it highlights, like many paintings of uh, the Epiphany, it highlights the universality of uh, the, Christ the Christmas message and what the Magi represent in terms of the fullness of God's revelation now being open to all the nations. Okay, So the thrust of the entire biblical narrative, right, the momentum and the trajectory of the entire biblical narrative is that God gradually fans out his revelation to more and more people. Right? So it starts in the Bible with an individual, and then a couple, and then a family, and then a tribe, and then a people, and then a nation, right? God gradually fans out, right, uh, the promise and selection to more and more people until we get to this scene in which the Magi who come from afar, who come from outside of Judaism, who come from outside traditional religion and philosophy, make this journey to worship the newborn Savior. The Magi then represent the universal call of Jesus' message. That Jesus' message is not just for an individual or a couple or a family or a tribe or a people or a nation. It's for the entire world. And the Magi symbolize that. And the beautiful two ways that that's shown in this painting, uh, which is not unique to this painting on the Epiphany, uh, but one, if you're looking at it, um, one of the ways that this universality is described is by the racial and ethnic profile of the three magi. Right, so in 17th century uh, Spain, before uh, Christopher Columbus and others sailed the ocean blue, 
Uh, there was, as it's hard for us to imagine this, but they only thought there were three continents, right? Which is Asia, Africa, and Europe, right? Until they discovered other uh, continents. So in this painting, you'll see that the three magi are given a racial and ethnic profile based on those three known continents, right? Of Asia, Africa, and Europe. The message, of course, being that Jesus' message that the birth of this newborn Savior is for the entire world, right? It's not for a particular group of individuals, right? A particular nation. It's for the entire world. The second way it's beautifully depicted is in the age of the three magi in the painting. The three, the three magi are of different ages. So it's uh, a youth, a young, clearly a young man, and then most commentary I read says mature and then elderly. Okay? Now you can sort yourself out uh, in terms of where you see yourself in that. But youth, mature, and elderly. Right? And if you're looking at the painting, you can see uh, that representation. Of course, again, the message is uh, an encounter with Jesus is not meant just for the young. It's not meant just for the middle-aged. It's not meant just for the old. An encounter with Jesus is meant to be transformative at all stages of human life. So it's not restricted to a particular ethnic and racial profile. It's not restricted to a particular age group. An encounter with Jesus is meant to transform all people. So that's the first thing I like about the painting. It captures the universality of Jesus' message that the epiphany is meant to represent. The second is my own strange interpretation of the painting, uh, which is a, a part of a greater motif of Christmas, which is that um, you should come to expect the unexpected with God, that God works in the ordinary, preferably over the extraordinary, right? He prefers, uh, he comes in, in strange places in surprising ways. So when I uh, first saw this, a painting, I was on a tour with uh, Susan Palmer over here, one of the docents, and she was gracious enough to do for our students, uh, this was probably four or five years ago, uh, Life of Jesus, uh, Toledo Museum of Art for our students. And she showed us this painting, and she said, one of the questions she asked is, what do you notice on the faces of the three magi? And I looked at the middle guy, if you're looking at him, I looked at the middle guy, and I said, he looks confused and disappointed. And Susan said, I have never heard that interpretation. <laughs> because uh, I think the author, it seems, just wanted to capture like almost somber devotion, right? But when I looked at that, I saw confusion and disappointment. You know, art's subjective to some extent, so we're going to go with my interpretation. Um, you know what, I think that if you look at that second guy, like the other two, you're like, man, they're thrilled to be there. But the middle guy, I think he's thinking this. Why in the world did I travel across the known world to see a baby? Like, we followed the star. We thought we were going to encounter something, like, extraordinary. And this is what we get? I mean, it's a cute baby and all, but... A baby? There's no way this could be the culmination 
of what we thought we were tracking uh, with this star. I see disappointment, confusion, like this can't be God. This can't be the fulfillment of our religious and philosophical aspirations. This can't be the culmination of astronomical and astrological signs. This just can't be it. This is too simple. It's too ordinary. There's no way this is the divine. So, again, whether that's my own, you know, read on it, whatever. I think sometimes we feel like that, though. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in thinking that God should act in more extraordinary manners. And part of the whole Christmas story is that God acts predominantly through the ordinary. That God works in the ordinary, that he prefers the underdog, that he prefers to share every aspect of human nature, including our smallness and dependence. Like that's part of the Christmas story. And so I see in that young man, in that, I think he's the middle-aged man's kind of disappointment. It's like our disappointment sometimes when we think that God should act more extraordinarily, that he should make his presence more explicit and in our face. And the Christmas story says, you know, he kind of comes uh, behind the scenes a bit. Sometimes to the point that we think he's underselling himself. So that's one of the features of the painting that I've really connected with. The final one, if you're looking at the painting, is in the background. You might, have missed, you might miss it if you just look. Is the cross. You see the cross? The cross is looming in the background of the painting. You have this beautiful sentimental painting. This, these three men like adoring a newborn. And then you have the cross in the background. To me, this is an incredible part of the painting because the cross has already entered into and overshadowed a little bit of the, the infancy narratives already, right? Um, I mean, they've got to flee to Egypt. Uh, last week, we heard Simeon predict that this child was going to be a sign of contradiction. It was... Sorrow was going to pierce Mary's heart. In this passage today, Herod's trying to kill him through using sort of ulterior and malicious motives with the Magi. I mean, the cross, the suffering that this man, this baby is going to endure is already overshadowing and looming large in his story. It's an inescapable part of we might say human life in general, but it's going to be an inescapable part of the life of our Savior. I just love this uh, motif of the whole Christian narrative being described just through what has God has done with wood. Right? It's through the wood of the tree in the garden that we're undone. It's through the wood of the manger in the crib that we begin, that Jesus begins the redemption story. And it's through the wood of the cross on Calvary that that redemption story is in a certain sense complete. But then it's through the wood of this altar that we receive the fruits of that redemption story. It's the wood of the, the garden in which we were undone. It's the wood of the crib and the manger Right in which the redemption story begins. It's the wood of the cross that 
completes that redemption story, and it's the wood of the Eucharistic table in which we receive the fruits of that story. So I love the image in this picture that the cross is it's inescapable. It's looming in the background, even of this, ro this romantic, sentimental image. Teaching us, one, that suffering is an inescapable part of human life. But even in the life of Jesus, it was looming large from the very beginning. So friends, I invite you, if you weren't uh, looking at this while uh, during the homily, take a look at it. It's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful painting here in Toledo, capturing this scene and capturing, I think, some really interesting things for our theological and spiritual consideration, right? The universality of Christ's message that all of us, that's one of the cool things about our parish is that we have people of all different ages, right? Um, that all are called to encounter Jesus and to be transformed by him, right? Um, secondly, that... Sometimes we're confused and disappointed by God's M.O., which is to, to operate uh, in the ordinary often and make the extraordinary present through the ordinary. Right? And finally, just the inescapable reality of the cross. And, and what we learn from that is it's the manger and the crib and the cross of Calvary that gives meaning and purpose to that suffering and allows it to say that that, that suffering does not so as we uh, celebrate Epiphany, let's give to Jesus uh, our hearts as the Magi gave their three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's give him our hearts so that uh, we might continually be transformed. And as the end of the Gospel say, leave here uh, by a different